Welcome to the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Vidala, and we're going to talk about music theory, lyric writing, creative productivity, inspiration, and more. I'm super excited to have you here, so let's dive into the episode. Hello, friend. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about how to discover your creative identity. Now, a couple notes on this before we dig in. Uh, the first thing is that I do believe it is important to know your creative identity. I think it helps to inform uh, decisions you make in the creative process in a good, constructive way. It helps you to not be sort of just lost creatively with without any aim or without any direction. Um, but on the other side, if you hold on too tightly to the creative identity and hold on too rigidly that you that you refuse to do something that maybe is a little outside your comfort zone that also is dangerous as i think it's definitely a good thing to understand your creative identity but then to experiment a little bit um so that being said let's dive in and the first step to finding your creative identity to me is to find what you love to consume so for example, a good way to do this is to take a pen and paper or write in a Word doc or a Google doc um, and write down like top 10 artists that you love, top 10 musical artists. And, you know, you also can break it down by works that you really love. So maybe top 10 artists, I'm sorry, I already said artists, top 10 albums or top 10 songs even. And Honestly, it, it can even be really helpful. I've talked about this before, but I think that looking at other f art forms can be very helpful. So maybe even a top five movie directors or, or movie series or book series even uh, can be helpful. Now, I think mostly what you really need to do is in specifically the music realm here. Um, but to really understand yourself even more can be helpful to sort of find top five and top 10 in, in other categories. Now, the point here is usually what you become, what you are, what you're influenced by is, is a, a combination of the things that you love, right? I mean, it would be silly if, you know, you love rap music and you don't really like country music. And yet you are a country artist, right? Like if you don't even like country music, you're not going to be a country artist. Um, probably. I'm sure there's a couple exceptions out there. But, but for the most part, um, the type of creation, the type of songwriting, the type of artist that you're going to be is going to be fairly similar to the artist that you love the most. Now, there's a couple things that can trip you up. So a lot of people are what I call genreist, which means that they basically judge a mu music mostly by the genre. So if you listed your top 10, 20 artists and they're all clearly, you know, I don't know, metal bands or they're all um, pop country bands or they're all... Um, female pop artists, or they're all people that sound like Ed Sheeran, or, you know, anything else, all rap. 
then you're probably genreist, which the good part is you probably already have figured out what genre you're probably going to be um, writing in and creating in. The bad part is this can make it a little bit harder to find your creative identity within that because, you know, lover of rap or lover of hard rock music is not is not your creative identity. It may be a part of it, but it's certainly not the whole thing, and it can even be misleading. So, um, it's important to look through that and say, okay, maybe all of my top 10 artists are rap artists. So it's easy to say, oh, well, I just like rap. And that may be true. But, why those 10 rap artists? Why not another 10? Say Eminem isn't in your top 10. Why is that? Or say he is in your top 10. Why is that? Maybe NF is in your top 10. Maybe Lil Wayne is in your top 10. Figuring out who is and isn't in your top 10 and why that is can help you to understand a little better what it is your creative identity is. So, and and sometimes... For example, take myself. If I were to write down my top 10 artists, most of them would fit in the rock genre of some sort. Now, I like some artists that are definitely outside of that. For example, I really like John Denver. I'll even admit I like Barry Manilow. Not all of it, but some of it. Um, and there are some pop artists through through the years that I don't think are terrible. And then some artists like Five for Fighting, which would probably make my top 10, is rock-ish. I mean, it's really not. And, and the difference between Five for Fighting on my top 10, Poets of the Fall on my top 10, Vertical Horizon on my top 10, and then Breaking Benjamin on, on my top 10 is significantly different. Um You know, nobody would really argue that Breaking Benjamin and Five for Fighting are in the same genre. Right? Like, if you separated everything into, like, four genres, then maybe they'd all be in the general rock instead of country or blues. Um, But they're clearly not the same sound. But even then, um, if we are separating it just by big levels, most of them would fit sort of into the rock category. But I understand that the rock has almost nothing to do with it, right? I love John Denver. He is... Not even close to rock, right? Because I've realized that the artists I like happen to be rock artists, and rock artists tend to have things I like more often than other types of artists. But it's not really rock I like. Like, there are tons of rock bands that even many would say are very similar to, say, Breaking Benjamin or Vertical Horizon that I can't stand. I cannot stand them. Um, and lots of bands that are just so similar that most people, like for example, most people who really like Breaking Benjamin are also, you know, they're probably also really going to like Three Days Grace because those would be considered, you know, they're both sort of a post grunge, you know, really heavy guitars, but a vocalist that doesn't really scream much. And they both tend to be darker, and they're sort of in the same vein. I don't really like Three Days Grace that much, though. And it's in these artists that are theoretically similar, that one you really love and one you don't, that you can start to see um, what it is that is really your value judgment. 
um, which is very important to understand. So this is finding what binds what you love together and, and what it is that separates two things that seem very similar, why it is you would like one and not like the other. That's all in the value judgments. So for me, I very much have a high value judgment on deep and darker, insightful lyrics. If it's a happy song, you've probably already lost me because I think, you know, it doesn't have that much to say. Oh, yay, what a happy day, whatever. Who cares, right? I have never been, personally, I have never been moved by a happy song. It just doesn't do anything for me. It's like, oh, yay, there was a happy song that's totally forgettable and who cares, I have a very high value judgment on a voice that can belt high notes and has a large range and usually is on the cleaner side as well. So, for example, to take the Three Days Grace versus Breaking Benjamin part, Breaking Benjamin clearly has darker lyrics overall than Three Days Grace. Three Days Grace has darker lyrics, but Breaking Benjamin is significantly darker. Also, I like his voice better. It's He, he makes a lot of use of low lower singing in in the verses and then high notes in the melodies and his voice is a little cleaner than um than three days grace i have a very high value judgment on powerful melodies that are very emotive and have larger leaps which breaking benjamin has a lot of um and i love a chorus that has a much higher vocal range than the verses and to me memorable is important not catchy i do not care about catchy so it's also important to understand what you don't care about what you have a low value judgment on like some people for example lots of people who really love pop have a very high value judgment on catchy if they're sort of smacking their knee and they're bobbing their head they they, they that to them is worth a lot of points to me it's not worth anything. I don't care. I want it to be memorable. I want a melody that sticks in my head and is powerful. I don't care about catchy. I don't care about that. Like, ooh, big deal. There's four beats. Yay. I don't care about simple lyrics to remember. I want lyrics that are deep and meaningful. I want something that sometimes is symbolic and has me, gives me something to think about. I don't care about rhyme either. I've talked about this before in, I believe, the third podcast um, where, you know, your lyrics don't have to rhyme. And and for me, I, I very often avoid the rhyme completely because I don't, I don't care. A lot of the artists I listen to don't bother to rhyme or they rhyme sometimes, sometimes they don't. And it doesn't matter. I, you don't even notice. Um, some people really care about rhyming, right? Like train, train just rhymes every word with the next word sometimes. Like, hey, soul sister is just, I feel like they just looked up words that rhyme, threw them together and didn't even make a song that actually made sense. They just were like, oh, that rhymes. So we'll put that word next to it. Um, and I also don't like vocalists that just like mess around and do trills and all fancy stuff like belt the note. I just want you to belt the note and make it just epic. That's what I like. Um, so understanding all of these things for yourself, you know, clean or dirty guitars, style of vocal, specific genre, maybe uh, acoustic mix that's very light or dense mix that has a million guitars and synths in it. Uh, do you like a deeply symbolic lyric or a very honest, upfront lyric? Um, sometimes both. I like both, for sure. Uh, do you like things that tend towards simpleness or do you 
like things that are more complex. So finding your value judgments is very important and very connected with finding what you love. Um, to f- and all of this is very connected to finding your own creative identity. So your crea- creative identity can be found in, all right, here are the things I love. What unites all of those things? What are my value judgments that make me love these things? And then if you need extra help with finding those value judgments, sometimes looking at artists that on the surface are very similar, but you really like one and you don't care for another, what's the difference between these? So the one you like versus the one you don't like, there are a bunch of similarities, but what are the differences? Because the differences are where you're going to find those value judgments. And then after this, we're starting to move away from, from finding the things that you already know and love. And now we're looking a little more into you specifically besides your taste in external things, which is what moves you? What motivates you? What is your why? You know, what is your why at meaning? What is it that, that gives you your reason why you want to do this? For example, are you motivated by brightening other people's days by giving them a happy song to sort of forget their sorrows? Or maybe on the other side, more similar to me, are you motivated by making others who are suffering feel less alone and be comforted by that fact? Maybe specifically um, you have a heart for uh, life, for example. Maybe lots of your songs are about the circle of life or death or dealing with death or different life stories like dealing with, um, you know, maybe a woman that you met that was homeless and sort of shedding light on how her life is still beautiful. I mean, and even though, you know, society may not treasure that life, you see that that life is still worth so much. Um, so, so there's so many different things here that, that can be motivations and your why, you know, do you, do you want to be a famous artist just because you want fame and glory or, or is there some more noble why underneath that? Like, like what is it that if you can imagine a fan coming up to you, what is the highest compliment they can give you? What's the highest compliment that they can give you for me? There is no higher compliment than if somebody comes to me and says, hey, your song really moved me and I was really struggling with this or I just went through this, a death of a loved one or some, somebody broke my heart or cheated on me after we've been together for years and I felt so alone and your song made me feel and, and identify with, with my, with my own sorrow, but, but I felt less alone. And I knew that there was somebody out there who had shared in my experience or who had also had sorrows in a world full of a bunch of people pretending that it's all okay. A bunch of people pretending that life is just one beautiful bed of roses. I appreciate that your song was, was honest and 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 you you admitted your brokenness because I feel broken too, and now I feel less alone in my brokenness. So so somewhere in all of that is for me what 
what I'm so motivated by. That is the ultimate compliment, which, which sheds some great light on my creative identity. Very much I want to write music and write songs that people who are struggling through different things, people who uh, are experiencing different sorrows, different pains, uh, can, can listen to my music and be like, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. And obviously yours doesn't have to be this. It doesn't have to be anything like this. You can fundamentally disagree with everything I said. Um, you know, for me personally, sad music has been what has made me feel better, ironically enough. Happy music just makes me angry when, when, I'm, when I'm upset. Some people work the opposite way. If they're sad, they don't want more sad music because that piles it on. Um, some people want happy music to cheer themselves up. And that's totally valid, right? Um, and there's so much more to to it that, than happy and sad, right? There's deep and insightful. There's simple. There's maybe, maybe you you like talking about the simplicities and yet the complexities of love. Maybe most of what you talk about is love. Maybe most of what you talk about is life and death. Maybe most of what you talk about is political issues of the day. Maybe you're a country artist and you like to talk about how much you love your truck and your dog. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. Um, but, but seriously, right? Like, it doesn't really matter what yours is. You just have to understand what yours is. And it can be so fundamentally different than mine. You can disagree with me completely. That's totally fine. I'm not telling you to be the, the type of artist or to have the same identity as me. I don't, I don't you know, I, it's, not, it's not about that, right? We all have our own creative identity. And it's important for you to be true to you. Be true to you. Don't be influenced by by my creative identity or by really anybody's creative identity but your own. So so to go over what we've said so far, you got to find what you love and then find what binds what you love together. Find your value judgments. Um, and it's something that can help you find those value judgments, which again, a value judgment is basically what you sort of value very highly in any creative work, uh, specifically songs. So maybe you value, uh, you know, distorted guitars very highly. And maybe you value rhyming highly. Or maybe you don't care about rhyming at all, so you value it very lowly. Um, so find your value judgments. And again, a, a nice hack to sort of understand your value judgments is to find, on your top ten, find an artist. You know, pick an artist, find somebody similar to that that you don't like, and figure out what the difference is. Because if they're so similar, what is it that separates them? Um, and then this last one is find what moves you, what motivates you. Find your why. Find what it is you would want a fan to come up to you and say that would be the highest compliment. And then here's the last part. This seems pretty obvious. Um, but I think sometimes people don't think about this. But find what you're great at and what you're good at and what you might not be good at. So knowing your strengths as a writer and as a performer is very important, right? So let's, let's do a sports analogy because I like those. So if you're – I always do football. Let's do basketball. Um, so let's say you are six foot one. And you're trying to get into the NBA because six point one is or six point one six six foot one inch in the NBA is very short. 
you're not going to be a center, right? Because centers in the NBA are about seven feet tall. So that person needs to understand that if they're like built sort of tall and lanky at six foot one and they're not quick and not great at passing and and rebounding is their strength. Like those are those are things that might not, you know, the height might be a detriment to them. So but but what if you're a a great long range shooter, right? And you're a great passer and you're really quick. That lends itself to probably being more of a point guard, right? Whereas if you're really tall and you're strong and and you can you have good hands to grab the ball. Maybe you can dunk that, that lends itself to being a center, right? And some of those things are obvious, right? Like when a quarterback is about to be drafted in the NFL, cause obviously I have to have a football one as well. Um, you know, if, if he's like five eleven or six foot, they're like, Oh no, he's a little short for a quarterback. So I don't know about this guy. And you know, there, there may be some, validity to that. And then there's some examples of why it maybe doesn't matter like Russell Wilson and Drew Brees, but understanding, you know, for example, if you have a cannon for an arm, great. That means that you're going to be able to stretch the field more. Maybe you don't have a cannon for an arm. How can you make up for that? Maybe pinpoint accuracy, maybe having better decision-making or being able to go through your progressions more quickly. So before I get too far off into this, this sports thing, let's, let's bring it back. So what's your strengths as a writer or performer? Do you have a large vocal range? Is your voice very different? Maybe, maybe you have a powerful voice. Maybe you have a really sweet, soft voice. You know, maybe, maybe um, you're good at writing darker lyrics. Maybe when you're sort of in a songwriting mood and when you just need to songwrite, what comes out tends to be darker. Maybe you're the type of person who, when you're in a really good mood, that's when you want to write and you write happy stuff. Maybe you're good at writing about being angsty or angry and you're not very good at love songs, right? When you're in love, you're just, you know, things are good. So why do you have to sit down and write your feelings away? Because things are good. So you're just going to enjoy things being good. Or maybe it's the opposite of that. Uh, maybe, maybe as an instrumentalist, right? You're a good rhythm acoustic guitar player, but you're not really great at lead. That may influence some of your creative direction. Or piano versus guitar, right? If you're, if you're a more of a pianist than a guitarist, you're probably going to write a little differently, and you're probably, your identity is probably going to lean more towards piano. So, for, for example, Five for Fighting can play piano and guitar, but he's clearly more of a pianist than he is a guitarist. So most of what Five for Fighting is known for, if you think of Five for Fighting, you think of songs like A Hundred Years, very piano-driven, or Superman, very piano-driven. Again, Chances, piano-driven. So his identity is partially in what he's better at, right? Like, maybe even his greatest strength as an artist, um, or sorry, as a performer. As a performer, his greatest strength may be his his piano skills. So most of his songs are piano driven. He doesn't really have a large range for belting for belting. So he utilizes that 
to he built himself a very nice falsetto voice and he and falsetto is very much ingrained into his sound and what he does so you may see that as a weakness right but he made that weakness a strength because his type of music and the way he writes utilizes his falsetto abilities and it doesn't matter that he can't belt the high notes or maybe he can but he doesn't regardless right if he can't belt high notes it doesn't matter because of his sound. Whereas if Breaking Benjamin, Benjamin Burnley for Breaking Benjamin, all of a sudden can't belt high notes, he's in trouble, right? Like to be a really good rock singer, you usually have to be able to belt your high notes. You might not need that if you're doing pop music. You may not need that if you're doing uh, an acoustic singer-songwriter sound. Or or take... take um, Fancy trills with your vocals and fancy, you know, precise control of your of your of your voice that's required with a lot of pop music, especially the more um, the really singing centric pop music. So if you think of, you know, a Mariah Carey or something who can do incredible things with her voice, you know, if, if you can do that, that might lend itself to that sort of R&B pop sound. But if you can't, you you have to adjust, right? So for me, my strength as a vocalist is clearly my vocal range. I would say if there's one strength I have, it's vocal range. Because I'm very much a lower baritone by nature, but I can belt a high C. And I've even belted higher than that before. But I can pretty consistently belt a high C. I'm confident enough in that that I, I would be comfortable writing a tenor high C into a song that I write. So that is my strength. Now, I can't do all the trills and fancy stuff, though. I just don't have that precise control. I'm a very much a belter at heart. Um, and I have the pipes to belt, but I do not have that precision control to do, you know, more of the pop side of things. So, for example, if I was trying to do my best Maroon 5 impression, it probably wouldn't go that well. I could probably do a better Freddie Mercury than I could do that. But that's not true. Freddie Mercury is incredible. But you get what I'm saying, right? Fred, Freddie Mercury and, 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 and rock artists tend towards more the belt that high note and just nail it and stay on that note and then move on to the next note. Whereas a Maroon 5 does, does a lot of, you know, up and down and fancy little embellishments on the lyric, on the melody. And... I, I, that's not me. I, I just, I, you know, could I train myself to do that? Maybe, but that's naturally not what I am. And that's also not what I like that much. So understanding your strengths is key. If you don't have a very large vocal range, that doesn't have to matter. You know, there's, t- there's tons of people out there that don't even have a very good voice that do very well for themselves because they understand their limitations and they work with them and even make them into a strength. So maybe don't try to be a, you know, a Breaking Benjamin style, you know, low voice in, in you know, lower notes in, in the verses and then belt some high notes in the chorus. If that's not your style, if you're not very good at belting high notes, if you're more of a a clean singer that, you know, James Taylor type who who just has a velvety, rich, nice, 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 beautiful sounding voice. 
Um, but, but you're not going to go up and belt and you're not going to do fancy stuff. You're just going to sing a nice acoustic song and everybody's, you know, if it wasn't so beautiful, we'd just fall asleep because it's so calming. So, so this last part is very important. Find what you're great at, find what you're good at, and then find what you're not so good at. And in general, try to stay away from the things that you're not good at, right? Set yourself up for success. Utilize your strengths. Like, if anything, I overutilize my strength of, like, I make a point of, like, verse, low, lower notes, show off my more rich baritone, and then nail those high notes in the chorus so that even if you don't like my voice, you at least respect my range, right? Like, that's... Um, I don't write that way intentionally, but it just tends to happen. I have a large range, so I use it. I think it helps to just really emote what I want to emote. Um... And, and then I avoid all the fancy trills and embellishments because I know that's my weakness. I can't do that. I can't keep up with, with you know, the trills of a, an embellishments of, a, you know, Maroon 5 style singer or, or, or I can't really name any pop artists at the moment because I can't think of them. But, um, you know, your typical male pop artist that has a tenor voice and does a lot of the fancy embellishments, I can't do that. That's not me. But it doesn't have to matter that I can't do that, right? Because that's not the style that I write in. That's, I, don't, I set myself up for success. And it's important that you do that too. All right, so there are four basic things. We're going to go over them one last time. Find what you love. Find what binds what you love together and finding your value judgments. Find what moves you and motivates you. Finding your why. And then find what you're great at, good at, and what you might not be. And a helpful exercise for this last thing would be uh, to just make three columns, right? What am I really great at? What am I pretty good at? Like above average. And then you can even put a below average and bad. Or you can just put a what I'm not so good at. Um, Because I would argue in general if you're pretty average at something, well, maybe it's something not necessarily to avoid but not to attack either. Thanks for listening to the Songwriter Theory Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. If you want to jumpstart your songwriting, be sure to download my free guide on 10 proven ways to start writing a song at songwritertheory.com slash free guide. Whether you're brand new to songwriting or a seasoned vet, this guide will help you to avoid staring at a blank page wondering where to start. Even if you just want to figure out some different ways to start writing a song, this free guide is for you.